Yeah, my name is uh, James Noka, and uh, I'm with my compadre, Kyle Versteeg, and we are... <laughs> uh, <laughs> start that again. <laughs> Why? Uh, my, uh, I don't want to use my real name. <laughs> this... Oh, why? All right, f*** it. I'll use my real name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're leaving that part in, too. You know that. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> why don't you want to use your name? I don't know, because there's, like, weird nerd stalkers. And crap, really? In right? Iowa, you have weird nerd stalkers? No, it's like the Internet, you know? Like, uh, it, the thing is, like, the chances are I'll say something on here, and somebody won't like it, and then they'll hunt me down and, like, harass me and stuff. <laughs> really? Does that Has that happened before? Uh, yeah, one time I had this uh, weird Internet stalker from a forum that... Like I said, I said I didn't like like a drummer, you know, because that's one of the other things I do is I, I play music, and uh, I said I didn't like a drummer, and he like flipped out and stalked me for like a year. Sweet. <laughs> so I'm a little little nervous about my real name, but whatever, it, you know. Well, we don't have to use your real name. Nah, we'll use it. It's fine. What? So this is knife the knife journal podcast. This is uh, this is the knife journal podcast, and we are uh, live. Or is this Memorex? We don't know. Yeah. You probably no, don't. Uh, even, you probably don't even remember that commercial, do you? Yeah, I do, because they had the they had the chair and the guy sitting in the chair, and they turned the thing on, and it blew his hair back. <laughs> well, they had yeah, and then they had Ella Fitzgerald singing, oh, yeah. and she broke a glass. Oh yeah, I remember that. You know? Yeah. So we should we should probably say uh, you you started Knife Journal, which is oh. Yes, it's. I started Knife Journal. Um, my brief, after ending my brief tenure with Blade Magazine and F and W Media, uh, I decided that uh, our our next level, our next step in the in the media industry was going to be um, paperless magazines, and so I started doing some some looking around and and uh, found the name that Knife Journal was found the name Knife Journal wasn't used. <laughs> and decided that was a pretty cool name to to call it, and uh, so then um, I I was gonna do just a flat PDF file, and it didn't it didn't look right, so I decided that I was gonna add some video to it, and then one thing led to another, and then it became its own app, and and now it's uh, available for an iPad, a Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD. And all the Android tabs, tablets. Excuse me. How do they get it? Um, they have to go to Google Play, Amazon, the bookstore at Amazon, or the app store at Amazon, or the Apple App Store, and you can download it. Download the app is free. And uh, currently, the the um, the multimedia magazine is also free. Uh, although I'm not going to promise that is going to remain that way in the future. Um, this is a very fluid industry, and no one knows what what's going to happen in the next two weeks. So, um, so I can't I can't make that promise, but I'm going to try to do it as long as I can, do it for free, and just have it advertiser supported. Uh, but it's really cool because it's it has uh, it has video in it, and it's it's like one of the only magazines that has video and sound embedded right into it. So you don't even have to be hooked to the internet. Once you download it, you don't even have to be hooked to the internet to have like uh, a video and and um, 
and some sound that's that's in the, in each article. So that's why we're calling it a multimedia magazine because it's got several different forms of media and such. <laughs> was <laughs> yeah, it's really pretty cool the way you have it laid out. Um, you know, you can scroll through the articles and then. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things you can click on and sounds and videos and you, you get to do a lot more in-depth uh, article that way because, uh, you know, if if you're talking about something in the article but you don't own, like, some copyrighted material or something like that, you can always link to it and then people can click on it and it'll send them somewhere to read more. Um, so it's, it's kind of nice to be able to write for... Uh, that sort of a venue it gives gives the writer a lot more freedom I would say well you know it's interesting too the other thing that I've noticed in the process has been um, you good writers are not necessarily good photographers good photographers are not necessarily good videographers video good videographers are not necessarily good writers so that's been an, an interesting challenge to try to augment each one of those um, uh, producers' abilities uh, with with added video or added photography or added added verbiage, um, which has been which has been kind of fun for me because I've been kind of filling in some blanks and it's it uh, adds another dimension to what I what I can do. Mm -hmm. Makes my day to day a little bit different every day. So every time I talk to you, you have like some crazy new news, and you know about some stuff that that I don't know. So what are you what are you hearing? Rumors, facts, news in the knife world lately? Um, the latest rumor in the knife world would be all knives are going to be banned in two weeks. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, you know I I I do have a lot. I do have a lot of information about a lot of different things and I can't I, I really don't want to like blather a lot of stuff out because it's it, it I know, have to try <laughs> oh I know there's a lot of people there's a lot of people out in the in the knife industry that uh, that would be very very upset with me uh, if I were to do that kind of stuff but I, I will say that um, right now is probably one of the best times to be a knife gatherer in the world, in in the history of the world, there's mm -hmm. so many different shapes, sizes, varieties, uh, styles of knives out there right now that it's just mind-bending. Uh, from from you know basic you know case pocket knives like our grandfathers used to carry and our great grandfathers used to carry, down to uh, uh, down to uh, you know the latest and greatest uh, tactical. Super steel, exotic handled, um, engraved knives that you've ever seen are, well, are going on right now. Well, and the other thing, the other thing I would say is that I, in in the time that I've been, uh, you know, alive and aware of knives, uh, I I haven't seen as many people interested in knives ever as there are right now. Like, well, there's you know, been a huge explosion in interest, I would say. You know, you know what's interesting about that, and I, I, I notice it more. I think because my generation grew up with knives in our pockets all the time. I mean, seriously, I've been carrying a pocket knife since I was in third grade, mm -hmm. and and 
I mean, all through school, all through high school, all through. I mean, you can call up any one of my high school buddies and they say, "Oh yeah, Jim used to carry this big old lockback folder." Yeah, I'll never forget it. You know, it was a, it was a buck one ten, and then I carried a Schrade uh, knife for quite a while. And but I think that that we've kind of gotten away from that, and now our younger generations have um, have stopped carrying knives, and then. All of a sudden, they started realizing, well, hey, you know, we really should be carrying something because, you know, we've been taught that these are bad, evil things, and an extremely useful tool it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you, so you're you never to know how much you people. miss it. <laughs> oh, I know it. Until yeah. well, I tell you, take a trip, take a trip overseas, or or take a trip with a carry-on piece of luggage only on an airplane, and. You you realize how much how much you really I mean it's if I'm if I'm flying somewhere and I'm only carrying doing carry on the my first stop usually is at some at some store that I can buy some kind of a pocket knife so that yeah, I can that, have some kind of a cutting utensil upon my person. Yeah, that that brings up an interesting uh, subject of the of of when you fly somewhere and you because you and I both go to like different countries and things mm-hmm. when you when you fly somewhere and you land. Um, you know, say say that there's a knife store there and everything there is legal. What's what's like your go-to? You know, you're going to be in a foreign country just doing, you know, not necessarily like shoot 'em up stuff, but just you're there visiting. Like, what's yeah. your go-to well, knife style? Well, my, my my wife and I just uh, got back from Italy a little bit ago, and I didn't um, I didn't want to carry anything with me because I wasn't exactly sure of. Uh, my, I mean, my understanding in Italy is. You're, you're not supposed to have any pocket clips knife. Mm-hmm. It's You're just not supposed to carry knives like that. Um, I'm not sure I believe that. I think that's not that's probably not true uh, because I did see some pocket clip knives there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I, what I did was I left all my stuff at home, all my knives at home, and my first stop was a small little cutlery shop, and I bought a... Um, a Victorinox, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a Spartan model, mm-hmm. and it, and it's basically a couple blades, uh, um, a punch, a corkscrew, which I used a lot when I was there. <laughs> oh, geez, imagine that in Italy. Yeah, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, and I brought it home. I mean, and it's, and it seems to be, that's the style of knife I tend to get, um, you know, if I'm not flying on the government's dime. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, if I'm just going somewhere that I'm not, uh, you know, that was that would be what I what I would do. I would stop and and at some cutlery shop find some kind of a of a Swiss Army type knife, um, yeah. and it would be a smaller one too. I mean, it's not one like one of the big ones. Just a not even a one-handed one. I mean, just a. I mean, I'm not going to war. I'm just going to be on vacation, and it all yeah. becomes part of that trying to stay out of trouble without, you know. I mean, I don't try to do stupid stuff when I'm with my wife, so. Yeah, that's yes. always smart. Yeah, <laughs> end up not, in a doghouse pretty quick. Not, yeah, exactly. Not a wise idea. Well, and then you know, I would say uh, up until uh, I mean, what, what do you do? Well, what do you do when you travel? Well, you know, up until up until I started getting more into the fixed blades, all I ever carried was a, a Victorinox uh, Huntsman was the model I really liked, and that you know. The, the surprising thing is, is I I went you know two three weeks in the boundary waters, uh, you know I I've traveled like all over the place with just a Swiss Army knife and I was 
just fine with it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was able to get even in the woods everything I needed done with that. You know, you're you're not going to use it to like baton through a log or something, but you, you know, you can if you if you're smart about the way you use a knife. A Swiss Army knife is usually just fine. Uh, if I'm flying somewhere that I absolutely cannot um, bring a knife, or I don't know what the knife laws are, I do exactly what you do, and that's I just stop in a, in a, even a hardware store, because most right. most of the places I go are are pretty far out in the middle of nowhere, like uh, Iquitos, Peru, for instance, or I flew into Georgetown, Guyana, and um, you know you just stop at a hardware store and see what they have available, and hopefully whatever it is is legal <laughs> right you know and then in those kinds of countries really the most useful knife for me is just a machete and then I'd, I'd have typically like a folder um, just for small around camp stuff it's a it's easier for me to clean a fish with a, a folder than it is like a machete or something but um, you know the I, I try to find out whatever the locals are using typically and I just get pick up one of those and that's 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 probably the smart play. I mean, it, it you know, I, when you were saying that, I was thinking about batoning stuff, and um, I mean, I honestly think that that you don't even need to do that if you really needed to get. If you were in a stuck in a situation where you just had your Swiss Army knife or your little little baby pocket knife, I mean, you really could probably baton stuff by just making batoning with another stick. Yeah, get a wedge. Make a point. Make and, make a wedge. Yeah, I've got yeah. a I've got a video on that. Um, and then I, I got in a lot of hot water over a video I made of how to make a fire without a knife. And uh, I got in all kinds of hot water on the <laughs> interwebs over that. Why, um, why would you want to make a fire without a knife? Well, I mean, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm you know, always, I've always this is a knife yeah. thing. This is I can't even imagine that. No, I'm just no, kidding. yeah. Well, I mean, and and the 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 way I did it was how I pretty much always built fires before I got like super into knives, and uh, I got like some major grief over that. So I, I don't really want to talk about that video, but <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, you know if you can actually um, with just a pocket knife next time I'm up your way what we'll do is we'll find an old down tree right I'll show you with that pocket knife how we can split that whole tree right down the middle oh yeah um, you, you know you just you just make little wedges and you take the wedges and you just pound them in every so often along and then you start a crack and it, it's really it's really pretty easy to do and if you're spending that much time uh, doing that, like you're just playing at that point. So I mean, well, well, you know, I mean, really, if you were trying to survive, you could, I and mean, you were looking for bugs. I mean, that would be a, a oh yeah, a, a good place to look for bugs and a good way to do it. I mean, if you had to, yeah. if you had to, I try not to get into that kind of situation. That's been, yeah, the the trick is avoiding having to do that. Yeah, yeah like my the, that's one of the things that I it always cracks me up because they're always everybody talks about this. Oh, if you only had one knife and you were in this situation, it's like, well, to start with, I would not be in that situation if I only had one knife. Right. That would that would just be not. It would just would not happen. Um, well, yeah. Unless I was a sole survivor in a plane wreck or something like that, and then I would have to be rummaging around through my luggage to try to find my stuff. Yeah, the the classic like breaking open the log thing. Uh, I've done that in Peru and in uh, Guyana, and basically. 
it's a it's a downed palm tree, and all the ones that I've seen where you could where they had like live palm grubs in them, uh, you could basically just kick the log apart, or even use like a rock or something to break it open. We right. never really even used a knife for that, although well, a machete well, makes it pretty easy. But yeah, we can. Yeah. I mean, we have those big white grubs up here. That you do? We, you, oh yeah. Yeah, we they. Should, you know, we should roast the some. <laughs> as, yeah, they're as a, they're as a pretty. Uh, <laughs> they're pretty interesting. They're I, I can't think of what what larvae they, what beetle they are larvae for, but but they're I mean they're fairly big. They're like two and a half inches long. Good I mean, God. Yeah, I mean they're like the size of your finger, and uh, and they're they're in the usually in the center of um, oh like beach. I think they're the ones that do the damage on the beech trees when they hollow okay. out the beech logs. Because uh-huh. uh, I've I've found them in firewood as I'm cutting you know if I if I have a beech log that I'm using for firewood and I'll split it up and I'll find them inside there. Yeah, put them on a little skewer and uh, roast them over some coals and they aren't too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know about me. your bugs, but the the ones down in the jungle they're not so bad if you have some sriracha or some hot sauce. <laughs> I was I was <laughs> gonna say if first. you have some have some pesto or something they look like norky. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or not. <laughs> Or yeah, however no, you say Noka, that. Noka and Gnocchi. <laughs> anyway, so what? Here's here's a here's a quick question for you. What knife do you currently own that you're geeking out about? Like what's oh, your hot? hot the, you know you know what you want to know the one I'm geeking out about and I took it all apart the other day and cleaned it. Is that is that three sister forge knife? Oh yeah, that one that you uh, got from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the one actually, and it's it's kind of funny because. Uh, um, it's. I, I like carrying. There's a couple knives I really carry all the time, and one of them is a Sabenza. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is uh, a 710 Benchmade. Yeah. Um, that would be the first uh, um, axis lock. Mm-hmm. And I and I carried. I actually have two of those. One for my left hand, and one for my right hand. And when I was overseas, I I pretty much exclusively carried those two knives. Um, and I like the. You know, I use it because it's. Got a very useful blade, um, and it is a very strong lock. Mm-hmm. And so, a couple of the, a couple knives, really, do it for me. Mm-hmm. And um, this this frame lock in Three Sisters has a blade shape that reminds me of an old ideal blade shape. Yeah, because it's got that instead of being straight across the top relative to the. Yep. Relative to the blade, it actually is is angled upwards, and then it goes down into its like semi clip point thing. Y- yep. Yep. Yeah, so and, just for and clarification, that's you're that's you're talking about the Three Sisters Forge uh, Lefty Beast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and the um, the the blade is a clipped point, and it does res- it really resembles the original 1903 shape of an of a marble's ideal. I mean, yeah. it's just shorter, but it's it has that same shape to it, and you know, so that's you, one of the things that have just been making me um, geek out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was I've been playing around with some uh, stuff in the basement, and uh, I've I've got uh, my big project is people give me a lawnmower blade and they want something useful out of it. Well, when you're if you try to make the taper on a lawnmower blade. Um, with a hammer, what happens is the the spine of the blade naturally curves up. Mm-hmm. So I wonder I wonder if the reason those original um, 
original marble ideal knives were they forged yep yep they yeah, were forged. So that's that's why that that's why the top of that spine was always up in, instead of straight across like modern knives is because they they weren't stock removal they were forged right and it, i noticed you're trying to put the taper in you're going to get that that yep. natural curve like that yep yep and and it's it's kind of a it's not a, a it's not a blade shape that you get real often um, if you look on the market today, it's not one that's that's common, mm -hmm. and I think that that's one of the reasons why I, I was. I mean, I was pretty taken aback by it. I mean, I didn't think you were going to leave here without it. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I, I can always get another one if I, I was. It, I know. was trying to trade for for something, and and uh, um, and and I'm sure that uh, eventually we will come to some kind of agreement. But um, but I think that that's that's the latest geek out knife. Uh, okay. Is is that knife? And and look, it takes a lot. I mean, you saw how many knives I have around this house. Yeah. <laughs> um, it takes a, it takes a lot for me to get geeked out about something. Yeah. So that's cool. I I think um, I have uh, in my own collection. I I just got three case knives after I visited you. We stopped in that <laughs> store. Uh, and they, they literally, what's the name of that store? It's Kaufman's Hardware. And, and this next issue of, of Knife Journal, we have several different articles that were that are a, kind of about that. Because uh, I'll, I'll go into detail after you're finished with your story. But it yeah. was Kaufman Hardware. It's the largest case dealer in Michigan and one of the largest ones in the Midwest. It's it's a pretty good. He's got a pretty good selection. So what's the what's the name of the town that? But that's in. You could that's just in give him a plug. Mackinac City, okay. Mackinac City, Michigan. He's got a little hardware store. Um, like I said, the next issue of Knife Journal, I've got a, I've got a pretty good article on, on the place. That's cool. Well, so, so we go up there, and of course I'm like a kid in the candy store, and I see like a hundred different knives that I want, but I picked out three. Uh, one is their uh, desk knife, and it's basically just a letter opener that I bought for my office. I've been playing with that. I always, it's kind of got a weird curve to it, and so every time I go to use it, I, I start using it backwards. <laughs> but I, I like that knife. It's like some old school letter opener type yep, knife. But yep. I need to learn to turn it around. Um, and then the other one, uh, because I've been gardening a lot, is I've got, I bought one of those hawkbills with mm -hmm. a bone handle, and man, mm -hmm. does that thing work great in the garden. And the third one is I got like a little teeny tiny little uh, folder from them with an orange bone handle. So if I drop it, I won't lose it. Now, and I'm going to ask you a quick question about your garden and your hawkbill. Do yeah. you use that to when you when you're harvesting your tomatoes? You uh -huh. do not break your tomato from the vine. You actually slice it with hawkbill. Well, I try to, but a lot of times the um, a lot of times the problem is that the tomatoes are ripe enough that if I start monkeying with the vine, it's just going to fall off. Okay. What I've what I've been using it more for is okra because okra you have to harvest when it's really really young otherwise it gets stringy and nasty. Mm -hmm. So, but but you have to you actually have to cut it because those stems are just not going anywhere. So, that's that's been my main use. And then if I find a tomato that's ripe but not like fall off the vine ripe, then I'll then I'll cut it that way. Uh huh. I'm just curious. Because uh, I, I know that those are kind of cool looking too, and you know I brought what we what we had up there last weekend was um, when it would have been fun if you came you'd have really enjoyed it. There were um, they had a hist what's called the historian tour. Uh -huh. Now W R Case is one of the few companies uh, 
that actually employs a historian and an archivist mm -hmm. to keep track of their history because this is a company that pretty much is the grandfather great great grandfather to almost every knife company in America mm -hmm. um, I'm not a case uh, expert I just know that they've been around for a long time and almost every pocket knife American pocket knife company sprung out of their family um, yeah. somebody had a spat and they, so, so and so left and somebody got married and they went and you know they moved out here and started a company and so so a, a lot of our um, a lot of our knife history is is kept by them and it's it is interesting that they've they've taken that approach to uh, keeping tabs on their history. Uh, very few companies have done that. I mean, they they pretty much can date almost every pocket knife that you have that Case ever made uh, to a certain period of time, which is really kind of cool. They have great records. Well, they have a historian tour, and this year they only went to one place. Normally they go to three or four different places, and they went to Kaufman's Hardware up in Mackinac. Mm -hmm. And uh, the event started the night before with a with a nice dinner, probably 70, 70 people attended, and they were not all from the Mac. In fact, nobody was from the Mackinac area except except the people in the hardware store. Everybody else was from everywhere else, all over the Midwest. They came, and uh, the next morning there were people sitting in front of the store at 5 a.m. waiting to get a voucher to buy the historian knife because there was only 50 of them made. Oh. Oh, that's cool. And uh, yeah, so it was like it was like reminiscent of oh, like high school concert days. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was pretty. It was pretty funny. Only uh, for knife geeks. <laughs> you know, only for knife geeks. Yeah, and, and the place was, and you got to understand, uh, Mackinac City is a is a seasonal tourist town. There's mm -hmm. no question about it. There's a tremendous amount of history. It's one of the first um, settlements in America. Uh, it was it was very instrumental in the push uh, westward. Uh, after you know, in the in the 1600s, uh, 16, yeah, 1660, 1680, in that in that neighborhood. So there's a tremendous amount of history up here. Yeah, and, and when when I was up there, we went to this this quick uh, reenactment of like a 1700s trading company, and they had all these people walking around in loincloths with no underwear, with their butts <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> And they just didn't care. They're like, "Yeah, that's my butt." Like, it's like all hairy and stuff. <laughs> so that's that's the history that that, I, that yep. I thought was pretty funny. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it is. It is pretty wild. Well, uh, this har in the winter time, the town shuts down. Right. Absolutely shuts down. There is uh, my wife. My wife is a clinic there, and um, there's one or two of the restaurants that stay open. Mm -hmm. And um, the gas station, the grocery store, and this hardware store stays open. Kaufman's mm -hmm. Hardware Store stays open in the winter time, mm -hmm. and because they not only are a case knife, big case knife dealership, but they're actually a real hardware store. I mean, they have everything that you need to get by through the winter up there, and uh, so it's it's kind of a neat old store. I mean, I really do like it. So uh, just just to give just a quick background. Um, you guys are going to hear like some clicks and beeps and probably some screams coming from my house because we're, we're recording over the internet and uh, we don't have studios. So 
Um, you know, if the audio isn't perfect, just bear with us. You know, when well, we're rich millionaires, we'll have a studio. It, well, the other <laughs> thing, too, is is I think eventually I want to do, um, it'd be kind of cool to do a video podcast. Right, yeah. Because I, I think that that would be, uh, I think that would be kind of fun to have uh, two screens with one of each of us on so you can see our faces and I can, like, do things like hold up a knife and yeah. go like this and... Show the cool parts and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, here's a, here's another question for you. We talked about like what you currently have that you're geeking out about. What knife do you want? What are you lusting after? Can be any any knife, even a, even uh, something that's not quite made yet. What am I lusting after? I mean, it's that's kind of a tough question for you. It, it, you've got it a really house, is. But. It really, it really is, and it's not. People, you got to put this in perspective. A lot of people don't know this. Well, a lot of people do know this, but a lot of people don't know this. I, I'm a collector, but my my I use my collection. Uh-huh. My collection is all fair game. There isn't. There's maybe a handful of knives in in the numbers that I have, which is a very small percentage that I actually set aside and will not use. Mm-hmm. But everything else in my collection is fair game. So that was for a long time with knife forms. My tagline was, um, I make your collection more valuable by using mine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> because because I was always, uh, that was always my my enjoyment of the, the enjoying the part of that collection was was to actually use the knife. Right. And, and so for me, um, having a knife that is the, the the holy grail of you know I think I'd like to have a loveless knife. Uh-huh. I think I would like to have a. Um, uh, I think he'd be one of the guys that I that I'd really. I mean, I have a lot of loveless drop point hunters, um, but I I think I'd love to to have uh, one of his um, shoot knives maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, I think just because I think that's one of the one of the more sexy blades. Um, I'd like to have a I'd like to have a 1903 Marbles Ideal Number One, mm-hmm. um, which would be the first Marbles Ideal that Webster Marble made. Okay. I think I would lust after that. I don't know what kind of money that would have to I'd have <laughs> to pay to have something like that, but it'd probably be pretty pretty steep. Um, I don't think I've ever even seen one, to be honest with you. I don't. Hmm. There are probably none, see, none around. I've seen them in books. I've seen um, I've seen pictures of them, but uh, you know, you're talking about a period of time that you know when when somebody laid down three dollars for a for a fixed blade knife, you better believe it was getting used. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was a it was a very very important part of their kit back then. Yeah. Um, but besides that, I don't know. Maybe maybe an Almar hollow handle. You know, that's that's right. one that's, you know, kind of one of those that you don't see very often. But mm-hmm. when you do, you wouldn't you wouldn't mind having it. But right. you can't bring yourself to buy a hollow handle knife. Okay, <laughs> now that's that brings me to my. Okay, when I was up at your house, we were talking about um, uh, the one piece hollow handle knives, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Chris Reeves makes one. Yep. Um, my my question is, how the heck do they make that as one piece? They must machine everything out, and then yep, 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 yep. He machined every, he machined it all. I think even, and then he treated it, and then finished the blade out. 
That's um, got to be enormously expensive to manufacture. Like. And it, just, he was. He, they were not made in America. Those were made in South Africa. Huh. And I have a. I think I have two of them. Hmm. That I picked up at a trade blanket somewhere. Yeah. That you know, guys that were bought them didn't like them, didn't realize they were that worth that much. When I told them that it was worth, I mean, I'm not. I'm not a very good collectible buyer because I always tip my hand and say, oh, well, you know, this thing is worth quite a bit of money. Yeah. You know, I kind of warn them so I don't feel like I'm taking advantage of, of the person I'm buying something from. And uh, I picked up a couple. Actually, I picked up three, I think, that way, because I've never bought one from Chris. Hmm. Um, but, and I don't think I paid more than 150 bucks for any of them. And they're they're very, yeah. very valuable. Well, um, yeah, just, just looking at, I, I was trying to think of how, you could manufacture that at a reasonable cost, and the, the only thing I could come up with is because you're going to lose a lot of money just wasting steel if you try to use a CNC to mill all of that stuff out of there. The only thing I thought was if you had one of those crazy forges, the industrial forges that drops some like huge hammer, if you took a block of steel and then hammered the blade out, so stretched stretched the end of the block out into the blade and then put it in, then you wouldn't be wasting all that material, but then you'd still have all that machine time. So, you know, it'd be partly forged and then partly machined, but right. that's the only way I could think that you could make it that would now, be like... Now, there is, another, there is another fellow right now that's making a, a one-piece hollow handle. Microtech makes one, too. They do? Yeah. I bet that's expensive. Yeah, and it is a little bit different... It's a thinner. It's almost like a little dagger, like a shank, which is <laughs> yeah. Which imagine is kind that. Of, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of interesting. I mean, it, it's it's kind of sexy looking, but it's it's definitely not in our user realm. Yeah. Well, so anyway, um, after after I left your house, I started kind of looking up some of the. Uh, the hollow handled knives because um, you know I when I came of age it was like Rambo was the movie and so when that movie came out like all these people started making the hollow handled like survival knives with a, you know no tang and just a plastic handle like glued on to the guard and all right, that right. Um, and they were garbage and they got like a horrible reputation from it and whatnot. and then another thing when we when I was at your place we talked about like why can't they make a hollow handled knife with like an actual usable blade shape on it? You know, like uh, <laughs> like well, a drop point hunter or something. You know. You know, I think I think I mean I think the Chris Reeve knives are about as good a user as I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, they're 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 maybe a little bit a little thicker than a lot of people want them for. A, um, you know, for a for an everyday camping knife type thing, because they're and they're it makes them a little bit heavy too. Yeah. Um, and that's the same as this other this other brand. I can't seem to find a damn hmm. freaking well, name of it. So so anyway, I started looking around, and uh, Jimmy Lyle is the guy that made all of those, and yep. and he's still got a company, and you know he's got like Jimmy Lyle knives. It's L I L E uh, knives dot com or something like that. And I was looking, and they they have the original ones that he made, which um, the last one that went up for auction on his site was like twenty three hundred dollars or something crazy, like one of the actual original runs. 
Um, wow. But they, they, they have like a next generation of those, and uh, those looked pretty cool. Um, but they were 2250 bucks, and uh, I, the thing that I liked about that knife was like the blade shape. <laughs> You know, right. it had that it had that real long clip point. If you look at the thing, it's a nine-inch blade, and I measured it. It's it's got four and a half inches of freaking clip point on that. You know, so <laughs> and then then they sharpen the spine, and it just looks like all vicious and whatnot. But uh, it, anyway, it is I, a pretty it is a pretty nasty knife. Right, I and, mean, and, that, and I would never get any use out of that, but just for nostalgia's sake, if. If I was if I was going to say I was lusting after something, I'd like one of those uh, Jimmy Lyles, but I'm never going to have one of those because I like you. Every knife I have as a user, there are two that I don't use anymore. Um, one is my dad's original uh, Boy Scout knife, and then I've got a Randall Airman that I've never used, and I really don't have a use for it because you know you buy one of those and you wait freaking five years, and by the time it comes. You're using knives totally differently and have like a total different idea about stuff, you know. So yep. I I I've never used it. Don't know what to do with it, so it, it sits in a drawer real nice. But um, I only really have two knives that I don't use. But it and just I, and that knife is just gaining value. Right, and I I don't have any desire to to have any more knives that I'm not going to use, and I I would right. never have a use for the Lyle knife. Um, but it is cool, and I would like if I if money was no object, I'd have one and just hang it on the wall in my office, like as a threat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, they were um, they were popular. I mean, that that knife is credited for changing the the way the knife industry does business. Yeah. Um, uh, for for whatever whatever reason, um, mm-hmm. that that excited a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, and you know there's always Ben Knife Nuts. It's not um, Calico Forge is the name of that company. Okay. Um, it's not. There's always Ben Knife Nuts. If you think back about um, the history of of this country, think back about the um, what we use knives for. Uh, Prior to 1850, pretty much it was for skinning and for hunting and that kind of stuff. And um, somewhere around, I don't even know the dates. Jimmy, when Jimmy, when uh, Jim Bowie was alive, when he made the that big ass kitchen knife famous. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is a kitchen knife. It's like yeah. a chef's knife. Yeah. Like seriously. <laughs> yep. And uh, but uh, uh, is it 1823? 18? Uh, I can't remember. Mike Stewart and know. He, he yeah. knows everything there is to know about that knife. But I think it was I think it was the the sandbar the sandbar duel the sandbar duel. Yeah, I, I vaguely sandbar remember reading duel. about that. And it was uh, it seems like it was in in the early 1800s. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, 1827. There you go. Okay. And so uh, prior to that, you pretty much used if you were going to duel with somebody, you used a sword or a gun. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, this fella decided he was going to use a knife, probably after the gun. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, 
did a lot of damage to somebody and made this knife famous and once again kind of changed the way we looked at knives because if you look at um, there was a genre of knife that evolved out of that legend uh, called the Bowie knife mm -hmm. and what everything made between 1830 and and uh, every big knife made between 1830 and 18 what 80 or something like that can mm -hmm. be called a, a Bowie knife yeah, Mike. Mike oh. says that they—they're all as long as it's period correct, and he's got like a set of dates on it. As long as it's from that time period, nobody knew what it actually looked like. But if they called it a Bowie knife, it's a Bowie knife. Is, yep. is basically his opinion on it. So. Yep, yep. And that was that was pretty interesting. And that, so so you've got a couple of knives that that obviously changed the way we thought about knives. Mm -hmm. um, Jimmy Lyle's knife was one. Um, the the Bowie knife was another. Uh, it 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 basically changed everything around. So you think about it, you had knife nuts back then. Mm -hmm. You know, they I mean, it's, they it's, had their own version of like uh, the like uh, mall ninja types. <laughs> you know, I bet yeah. I bet like most of those Bowies that were sold were like you know some guy like you know that like never left the city, but you know he had to have a big Bowie knife. <laughs> well, actually, they were they were used for self defense. I mean, yeah. a lot of I mean, to this day, I think in Tennessee, a Bowie knife is still um, is still outlawed. You're not allowed oh, to man. have one. That's crazy. And Texas, their toothpick or Arkansas, I, I've heard of this. There's like some places that ban like specific mm -hmm. makes of knives, but I you know I think some of them were used. But I I bet you that just like today, the vast majority of those kinds of you know mean looking knives were like just guys that you know had kind of the cowboy fantasy or whatever and they they bought them and just kind of rolled with it but mm -hmm. I think I think what's interesting is the is the whole bushcrafting movement right now with people buying these knives to use them yeah and and uh, that is uh, it's a I think that's a good thing I don't I don't think it's a bad thing I think it gets um, it gets a big portion of the industry to stay in the realm of of using a knife, buying a yeah. knife to use. Yeah. Um, because uh, let's face it, if you if you bought all drop point hunters, I mean, how much hunting can you actually do? You <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. And and uh, but but when it comes to uh, doing bushcraft type stuff, I mean, that's kind of a you know you go camping and bushcraft go, happens. Yeah, and you play around <laughs> it. Yeah, you play around it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we did a couple little projects up by you. It's fun to do, and it gets you using a knife and and practicing and stuff. Now the the I I like the bushcraft knives. They're fun um, to play with, and and especially the knives that are made correctly. Like the one we were playing with, the uh, Bark River Bushcrafter. You know, if they're made correctly and the edge geometry is correct, it's really a pleasure to use those on like woods projects whereas if you if you tried to take your you know if you tried to take a knife that really wasn't designed for that perfect purpose and believe me I've done yeah like that big huge uh, <laughs> the big huge uh, hollow handled knife that you're holding up if you try to take a knife like that or a knife without a comfortable handle and you try to do some of these things it's not as much fun but you know if you've got a knife that's purpose um, purpose built for that sort of woodcrafting stuff, then it's a lot of fun. Uh, I get in trouble a lot of times with the uh, bushcraft stuff because you know I've got that stupid YouTube channel 
and people watch a video and they'll just pick apart everything I'm doing like everything I'm doing is wrong and <laughs> I get a kick out of that you know they I'll, I'll, I'll do sometimes I'll do things on purpose that look just a little bit off just so I can hear the chimp screams <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they like start chimp screaming and stuff but I, I get a kick out of it you know and um, but yeah I, I do think the bushcraft movement is awesome because number one it gets people outside and number two, it gets them buying knives, you know, right. and, and and using them. And so you're you're going to have a whole generation of people coming through that are used to handling and using knives, and I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Um, and plus, then it's really really easy to troll them on YouTube if you <laughs> if you're if you're evil like me and you you want to make videos that like. Like incite riots. Yeah, <laughs> incite riots. I, I, Is I, there... I literally got like driven out with pitchforks of a of a certain pretty famous uh, bushcraft site because of that stupid video I made of doing a fire without a knife, <laughs> and it was like, you know, I had people like just all fired up and pissed off and and whatever, you know. It, it basically, well, I, I trolled and got thrown out. <laughs> it's kind of funny because it's it's almost like a religion to these people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and they're the thing that kind of cracks me up is that it gets touted as uh, as a survival type stuff. Right. And I mean, I'll go along with primitive living type stuff, but yeah, I yeah. but survival stuff now. I you know I would not be whittling out a spoon. No, hell no. To eat my to eat my stuff. Well, and if, and, and Morris Kahansky, he's like the godfather of this stuff in in the North American continent. I, I, you could make the argument that over in Europe, probably Ray Mears or some of the other guys are kind of the ones that are popularizing it. And Morris Kahansky himself, if you look at his book, I've got it right up on the shelf. It's uh, wilderness living skills. You know, and yeah. he calls himself a uh, will, uh, an instructor of wilderness living skills. He doesn't call himself a survivalist, so I think there's a lot of confusion between like the survival world and the bushcraft world. And you know, I, I think a lot of a lot of the areas overlap. But like you said, you know, that tripod we made to cook over last week probably took us. I mean, if you've made a bunch of them, you can knock them out pretty quick, like 15, 20 minutes. But you know, I'm not going to go to that much trouble if I'm like actually trying to survive. Right. That's more right. like you're gonna set up a camp and chill out for like a week and Yeah, I'm gonna make my life a little more comfortable when I'm cooking and Right, gives you something to do while you're bored. Yep. Um yep. but you know the 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 other funny thing is is like you take the the bushcraft movement, at least the North American side, is really, really, really well adapted to the boreal forest, which mm -hmm. is like your where you live is like the very southern edge of it. You know, and then you have to go a little bit more north. But that that bushcraft, um, the, the boreal forest, otherwise known as the taiga, goes in a band all the way around the world. And the stuff they teach you is really well applicable to there. Um, but it's not as useful, um, like say around the equator. You know, and um, I, I'd say the. You, it, it's easily adapted to other environments, like uh, Cody London has really adapted a lot of Morris stuff to desert survival, and mm -hmm. a lot of it, a lot of it works and, and crosses back and forth. Of course, the main thing about desert survival is 
finding water, and I didn't, Moore's doesn't really emphasize that all that much because he lives in the boreal forest where there's a lake every 15 feet or whatever. That's that's like that's like up here. Right. You, know, you, you it's like the water is the last thing that you worry about because there's you're never really more than a half mile away from a body of water. Right. And so um, the the point I was trying to make is that people obsess and they lock into one particular skill set that's designed for one particular environment and they think that that's the only way to do things and then you you have to remind them like look there's jungle you know the stuff that you do there while a lot of it is applicable is going to be a big waste of time in the jungle you know you you can start a bow drill fire in the jungle but it is a pain in the ass you know, and so it's uh, they they get stuck on saying that one thing that works in one environment is is the only ap- applicable way of doing things anywhere in the world, and that's probably uh, what causes the most chimp screams. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because because I, I do stuff that a lot of what I picked up I picked up. Um, you know, in the boundary waters and places like that, and through the Boy Scouts. But then, the more modern stuff uh, that I've kind of picked up on is more from doing actual expeditions through jungle regions. You know, so mm-hmm. the stuff that I do, uh, a lot of what I do in the woods is really patterned after being able to start on, like, say, the western border border of Guyana and walk to the eastern border you know, tra- traversing swamps and doing all these sorts of things, and there's just not a lot of, like, um, bushcraft stuff that that works as well in that environment as it does in the boreal forest. So people see a lot of my stuff, and they chimp scream, <laughs> and uh, whatever. Chimp you know. scream, that's a good one. Well, that's, that's literally what they do. They, like, freak out and, and write all this crap on the Internet, and I have to like moderate their comments and I just get sick of them yeah well a lot of it too is is you have I mean it, it always cracks me up because I mean I've been to Europe mm-hmm. I, I know the amount of woods that's there mm-hmm. it's, it's not that it's not like up here mm-hmm. um, and my understanding is uh, if you're not if you're not a property owner you're pretty much camping in a campground right and I know that's the case in a lot of Europe, especially in Britain. And um, a lot of a lot of that land is like crown land, you know. So right, exactly. Theoretically, you're not supposed to be on it. But um, I've got some friends that like do the, you know, stealth camping thing. But you know, it's kind of illegal and stuff. So here's a, here's another question for you. If you were going to start a knife company. Right, and you only had the money to do to start out with four different uh, fixed blade patterns. We're going to leave folders out of it. Fixed blade patterns. What are the four types that you would make, and why? Huh. Okay. Because it's funny we're talking about this. Cause I'm actually talking about this. Well, we were, we, we were talking about <laughs> this last night. <laughs> um, and I've been actually talking with a couple of guys about actually doing this because I think. I think what I what I one of the things that I want is knives that function very well. That's mm-hmm. like one of the high criteria for me. So I have to have something that's that's uh, that's very useful to me. Mm-hmm. One of the knives that that like I think I mentioned earlier is a, is a Marvel's Ideal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would make full tang versions of all of the old stick tang knives. Not all of them, but uh, but a can, good portion four. of them. You yeah. So four. I'd be like <laughs> I'd be like doing a uh, an ideal. I think I would be doing a woodcraft. Uh-huh. Um, and with the ideal, you could do three different, four different blades lengths mm-hmm. just on that one knife. So you're not you're not counting that. Well, that, you gotta you gotta come up with four patterns because you're gonna what you're gonna do is you're gonna you're gonna get a hundred of them cut out, hundred right. of each pattern, and then then you're gonna sell them to get the seed money to buy the next thing. Right. I would I would do I would do a hundred six inch ideals. Mm-hmm. I would do a hundred woodcrafts. Mm-hmm. I would do one hundred, uh, probably model either model f- uh, one with a with a full you know a Randall model one right with a with a full t- with a full tang handle on it mm-hmm. so that's three and uh, I probably would do a bushcraft knife. Okay. And then and then I would probably do a folding knife that would look like a <laughs> smaller I- ideal with you, a. You you gotta wait till you sell the first four hundred and then you can right. like commission the the, the rest of work them. for all of yeah. that. Well. Yeah, but I but I think that that those would be the styles. Um, yeah. Because uh, I because I do like the the original the stick tang um, knives I think people poo poo them a lot because they say that they're not very strong which. I don't. I don't buy into that that right. camp. I think they're pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I. It's not often you see one broken, mm-hmm. and and if it's usually, if it's broken, it's usually been because it's been abused. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you know what? If people like full tang knives, who am I to say that they shouldn't buy one? Right, and it's the market. You know, yep. the, you're, you're in business to make money. Yep. And yep. So, so actually, our our lists are very very similar. Um, if I was going to make four knives, four different patterns, uh, I'd make one that was a, a bushcrafter type knife with a very nice ergonomic handle. I'd make a dropped drop point hunter with a you know probably a four inch blade on it, uh, again with a fairly ergonomic handle. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna go crazy now. You're, you're gonna you're gonna laugh, but you'll sell them. I'd make a seven-inch combat knife with uh, with that real long clip point on it, like was on the original Lyle knives. And I'm actually <laughs> I've actually been in my basement playing with that. Um, that would that would be the third one. And I I know that if you made a full tang version of that, because people are asking me to make it. You know, so I know you could sell those, and you know mm-hmm. it's a it's a ninja knife, but you know, like I said, I'm in the business to make money, mm-hmm. and I I probably wouldn't use it, but people would buy it. Yeah. So so then there's that one, and then the final one I would make would be a parang, uh, like a, a a full tang parang though, not a not a stick tang, because most of the stick tang or most of the parangs that you're going to get that are real parangs. Or stick tang. Now, I know Condor um, with Joe Flowers is making some that are that are full tang, but other than that, um, the market doesn't really have too many of those out there. So uh, those would be 
Those would be my four. And I'd use three of them, and the other one I'd just sell so I could buy a... <laughs> <laughs> so I could buy another grinder. <laughs> so I could take advantage of everybody. But yeah. Well, you know, that's business, and if they want it, they'll buy well, it. Well, and you know, and, and it's, it's kind of funny, because I think of... Um, if knives were head personalities, you know, how would they feel if they just got stuck in a drawer? Right. You know, yeah. they'd be all upset. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, you're you going know. out and you're not taking me. If, if I had a if I had a knife company, I I would want people to use them and not just like collect them and have like every little variation of everything I ever made and and whatever. Um, well, that's that's actually real important to, to the knife has to actually work. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of stuff out there that are beautiful works of art. Takes a, a lot to make a grinder do those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, you've got a knife that really would not make. I mean, you could cut yourself with it. <laughs> probably pretty easy. Yeah. But but I don't think you, you would want to carry some of these things every day and use it every day to open boxes and that kind of stuff because you probably would cut yourself with them. Right. You know, because they're, cause they're um, and and I, I don't want to take anything away from the artistry because it it definitely is, um, you know, it's an it's an art form and it's no different than watercolors and oil oil paintings. I mean, um, you know, myself, I'm not a I'm not a fan of oil painting, mm-hmm. but I like good watercolors. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with oil. It's just that. It's not it doesn't do anything for me yeah and I think and I think a lot of those are are a lot of knives today are like that you know they the functionality portion of the of the test it doesn't um, doesn't quite make it I'd like to come up with a good scheme of of grading knives you know based on form function um, yeah, like the philosophy of use, like how how well is it designed after a specific task, and how well does it do that task? Yeah. And then yeah. how good does it look while it's doing it? And do you look like a stud carrying it? <laughs> 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 but um, how does this knife make me look? Right. Well, so so getting back to that, uh, Lyle. <laughs> does knife. this does this knife make my ass look fat? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well. <laughs> Getting back to that Lyle knife, like I know I would never use it, but there's just something about it that just does it for me. And and like if I had, you know, twenty two hundred and fifty bucks sitting around, I would buy one of those like tomorrow. But I just don't have the money. So anyway, I I, I took uh, you know that uh, I've got that lawnmower blade project going on. People bring me lawnmower blades, and I, it's it's mainly so that I get a chance to play with the grinder. And I you know I built this forge which is another thing. I built this forge and everybody wanted to know how to make it so I put a video up on how to make it and then all these real blacksmiths jumped down my throat <laughs> that it was built wrong <laughs> and I've been, I've been like using it and making knives but they they had some good points and so I took the video down um, but anyway basically what I was doing with the lawnmower blade project was just trying to learn how to how to do it and uh, this this uh, friend of mine that's a vet and he's now in the National Guard brought his lawnmower blade over and I made it into a Lyle style combat knife with a couple changes that I had to put in there based on um, how the blade was shaped and he I, I heard from his wife today that he brought it to the armory 
and now like all these people are all hot to have one of those you know <laughs> so, but i i mean it it takes some pretty significant input to make one of those um right now with the current methods that i have so i i think i think honestly you could sell the hell out of of a uh, full tang fixed blade 7 inch version of that Lyle knife do you do you have a um uh, what, what are you using for an anvil? Did you buy an anvil? Yeah, you know, I got on eBay and I got lucky. It's one of these deals where, you you, you know, a new anvil is like a, a new uh, forged anvil, so not a cast anvil and you want a forged anvil. A new anvil is like in the two to $3,000 range for a 100-pound mm-hmm. anvil. Well, mm-hmm. so I, I looked around. I saw some, like, farm sales, you know, because I live kind of in farming country, and every once in a while one will come up, but they were all cast. Uh-huh. And so I was looking on eBay, and kind of looking for anvils, and some old lady had a box of doilies and an anvil, and like, <laughs> but she didn't advertise it right, so it just ended up in doilies. So I got it. I got I got the whole thing for. It cost me more to ship it than it did to like actually buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have this. I bought, I bought a box of doilies and there was an anvil in the box. Yeah, it's like you know, like the Coyote and Roadrunner thing. Yeah, know, like it was like Acme. No, but it's I've got a real nice uh, hundred pound anvil that's in pretty good condition. Just the tip of the horn broke off, but it wouldn't take much work to to grind that back out and stuff. But um, you can you can find them on eBay. Um, you just got to make sure that you're getting a forged one and not a cast one. And then some some one a guy I know brought me up another anvil, but it's um it's a cast one. And then the first one I ever bought was just a piece of railroad tie, and that works mm-hmm. for most stuff. But if you're trying to do something with a bigger like lawnmower blade sized piece of steel, then you need like a real full sized anvil, or at least I do at my mm-hmm. beginner skill level. So anyway, th- th- that'd be the four knives that I'd make, and. Uh, We'll have to talk more like off the air sometime. <laughs> well, there was there was something else that you just said something, and I I had something on the tip of my tongue. I was going to say it, and I didn't want to interrupt you. Mm. We were talking about forged anvils, cast. No, it wasn't anvils. about anvils. It was oh. before that. It was uh, the guard. Mm-mm. No. Nah, that'll come to me later. It's not. Must not have been that important. So here's another question for you, and this is, we probably are running out of time here. So uh, what do you got coming up uh, with knives, outdoors, anything like that? Well, right now I am working on my second issue of the of the Knife Journal. i got to get um, you an article. Yeah, I'm going to the USN show next week uh, up out in Las Vegas for what's, a couple days. What's that? That's the Usual Suspects Network's Gathering. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a um, it's a it's a pretty high end knife show with lots of really really good name names that are going to be there. Um, they come out of the Usual Suspects Network forum, mm-hmm. which is a, a kind of an exclusive type forum that uh, is really into knives and tactical type stuff. Yeah, um, and you you have to have a real email address to join it because I joined it yesterday and I tried to join with my, you know, average Iowa guy at gmail.com and they wouldn't let me. So I used my wife's uh, 
email address from like Mediacom or something. <laughs> really, they would not let you with a Gmail account. No, you you have to. That's the that's the big sticking point with that is that if you don't have like an actual email account like with some real provider, like uh, an anonymous like web based server service like Hotmail or Gmail won't work. Huh. I, I actually joined up because unless you're a member, you can't even look in there. Right. Like you can't even know what's going on in there, and like right. that's that's like kind of tempting because like maybe it's like some crazy. Well, no, they what they they have in there. You have access to pretty much every high end knife maker. Yeah, I and, mean and, that's and, the and Tad Gear is is in there too. Yep, I saw yep. uh, DPX, uh, Robert Pelton's company is in there. I, you know, I just looked around briefly. I posted a thing just as an introduction, and because um, you're supposed to like introduce yourself. But on these forums, I'm I'm much more of a reader than I am a poster because, uh, you know, I just am. Well, let's see. There's, uh, I mean, there's a hundred over a hundred dis- uh, displays. You know, people that are going to be displaying at the show. Um, to name a few, you've got. Uh, um, Ken Onion, um, wow. you've got uh, uh, four seven uh, flashlights. You've got uh, Charles Sawyer, Sauer, um, Emerson Knives, Elishowitz, cool, uh, Rick Hinder. Wow, you know, yeah, um, that's some big hitters there. Yep, and Tom Crin, Tom Mayo, Tom Ferry, Todd Todd Bag, Tim Britton, Strider. Um. So there's going to be a lot. Suffice it to say, um, without getting in trouble, there'll be a lot of uh, really pretty big hitters there. Yep. Um, yep. That's that's neat. I you know I I was thinking looking to go to that, but it's, it's like for me at this late date, it's even on Southwest, it's like a six hundred dollar ticket or whatever. So right, I'll have to wait on that one. Yeah, they'll be next year. Yeah. It'll be next year. We're going to set up in the, um, I guess we're going to be on the press table. And I think what I'm going to do is uh, basically make a, uh, a stand-up little poster of the cover mm-hmm. and then just say where it's available and on the, on the little poster available on, you know, Google and, and Google Play Store and, and uh, Amazon App Store and the Apple App Store. And uh, and just go around and show people what it is. And if they got if they have a, an iPad, just get them to download it. If they got a Kindle, get them to download it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that that's the the only way it's going to get out there. Um, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And so, we're gonna and we'll we'll also do some reporting and some I'll take some pictures and stuff of it. Yeah. Of the event should be neat. My uh, my only thing uh, I've got like some family camping type stuff lined up but my only big kind of knifey outdoorsy thing on the schedule right now is last weekend in September uh, at Ethan Becker's place uh, and for those that don't know Ethan Becker's a designer uh, for K-Bar and he, he has Becker knife and tool and he's got some knives that are like really really good user knives like really awesome ones uh, and uh, he's got all kinds of different knife designs, but my favorite right now of his has got to be the BK-16, and that's basically just like a four-inch drop point hunter. But the thing he always does really well is his handles are so good. 
Uh, but anyway, he, every spring and fall, he has a gathering and get-together at his place. Um, he right now has a basically an entire mountain in south of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And he has people come up there and screw around in the woods and make fires and eat and those sorts of things. Uh, and a lot of times, like, some uh, knife makers will show up. Like, I know um, to this one, I think T.M. Hunt is coming. He's kind of a newer, kind of up-and-coming guy. And then uh, there's a guy named James Terrio that's going to be there. And he always has people, different people drop in. But um, if you're interested in that gathering, you can just go on uh, Blade Forums and just look in the Becker Knife and Tool Forum, and there's all kinds of information on there. But that, that tends to fill up pretty quickly. But uh, you never know. I'm sure there's probably a couple extra trees with a hammock. <laughs> hey, is um, that TM Hunt, he, he's the one that makes that... M18. Yeah, yeah. kind of strange-looking yeah, it's, hybrid it's, machete. Well, it was, it was him and this guy um, named Murph. And, and you can also find their, uh, their stuff on... They've got a, a knife maker's... Uh, sub forum on blade forums but um, uh, this guy named Murph he's like this crazy marine guy, <laughs> nice guy and everything but he liked the Tom Brown tracker, he mm -hmm. just wanted it like more manly and so <laughs> they made this huge freaking like it's got like a 12 inch blade on it but it's got that kind of Tom Brown uh, tracker design with the, with the cutout area near the handle that you can use as like a draw knife and then uh, the other thing he did that I like really well is out towards the tip, um, it's it's almost flat so that you can take it and and uh, lift up like you would a pancake, like if you could almost use it as a spatula. And 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 actually you'd be you'd be surprised, man. I got some video of that thing. I took it out and did. Uh, I cleaned my deer with it last now, year. I'd say you own one of these, right? Yeah, yeah. I bought one. Like I saw it, and it was just, it's just this massive piece of steel, and like I I held it, and I was like immediately in love. Like it's one of those knives that, you know, it was like an impulse buy. It's like it's like I looked at it, and I thought, this is like has the face that only a mother could love. Right, and but the, but the thing <laughs> is, like man, I'm telling you, man, you you're you're a real badass walking around with that thing. But well, I you just, know, and, uh, and I was gonna I was gonna mention about the t the the. The tracker knife that that yeah. a lot of people have made those and and you hear stories about you know that's the stupidest thing. Then you hear other stories just like well if you've never used one you shouldn't really say anything about it. Um, and I, I don't have one, so yeah. I I kind of reserve judgment because it does look kind of goofy. <laughs> but uh, but I do see if you were if you were making things if you were actually making things like you know, wagon wheels out of wood right. or something where you needed spokes. And, uh, you, you know, I suppose it's it's probably handy to have something like that. Um, the 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 beastly thing that you bought. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, was it, what was the name of it again? It's the M18. By the TM M18. Hunt. Yeah. Is... Um, is definitely that knife on steroids. There's yeah. no question about it. I <laughs> well, mean, I was I was kind of laughing when he when he showed me how you attach it to your arm. 
Yeah. And, <laughs> like it, it's so big that they have to like you you have to have like tricks to use it and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. like like you pull that thing out and it's like in Crocodile Dundee when he says that's not a knife. This oh, is yeah. a knife. Yeah. Like, you yeah. pull this thing out and it's like so huge and massive that it's Well, it's like, like a cross between like a like a Tom Brown tracker. Yeah. And an axe. Yeah. And uh and a and a cleaver. Right. And a yeah. spatula. Right. Well, so anyway, I, I uh, after I got it, I was kind of trying to justify the purchase to myself, right? So I used <laughs> it a lot, and uh, I mean they're they're not they're not cheap. Um, and I have I have the sixth one he ever made. Mine is 006, baby. So anyway, um, it's like 007, only not as sexy. Anyway, so um, I wanted number seven, but it was sold. But anyway, so. I, I'm trying to justify this purchase to myself, so I tried to find all these ways to use it, and it is useful. Like I, I have a video up um, using it to clean my deer last year, and uh, the way we do deer is we we gut them in the field, and then we take them back and hang them up and skin them, and then uh, usually what we do because there's not much meat on the rib cage, so what we do is we um, quarter them. So, you know, you're taking off the arms and stuff and then take the meat off of the arms and legs and then uh, we clean out and take out the uh, back straps and the tenderloin and then any usable meat from the neck, we call that a lunch box, like the, the way we do it. And then basically all that's left is like ribs and some other stuff that you wouldn't want to eat. But I did that whole process with that M18. And um, the, the tip is really good for skinning and... Uh, as far as like jointing them, man, you have never seen a, anything go through a deer leg like that thing will. <laughs> but it's a little brutal. But, uh, <laughs> so anyway, I, I think I've safely justified the purchase. Um, he, he has some other knives too. Like he's got, uh, I think, a Yuma and a Magua. And those are like more user friendly, like smaller, you know, like knives like you and I would typically mm -hmm. buy. And I've, I've got, I think I've bought just about everything that he's got. And I bought a pink-handled one for my wife. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, um, the other thing that's going on, um, we have a, a Bark River grind in. Oh, yeah, that's in... I, I so that's uh, September, that. the weekend before. Mm -hmm. that's, like, that's like the second weekend in, in September. Yep. That's going on. And I think... It seems to me now maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me there's a camp in over that way uh, in I think in October, but I'd huh. have to look at that again. Yeah, we'll have to because um, I know the the grind in is it's like September 14th and 15th, and I yeah. I wanted to go to that, but I got I've got too much on the schedule. Well, but I I've got a to go to one, but I've got a um, I've got a wedding. That I've yeah. got to go to, um, not yeah. that weekend, but I've got, but it's the weekend after, after the Becker thing, and uh, I was basically told on no uncertain terms that I was not going. Yeah. And, you know, my wife has several tones of voice. Yep. And some are to be okay noted. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and then the other ones are, oh, I'm absolutely not doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so she. She basically hit me with that, with that, with that tone. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm gonna be bagging on that one. Um, 
But that doesn't mean we can't do something in October up here. Yeah. Well, I was I was thinking of trying to come up that way, uh, maybe first first part of November last weekend in October, and maybe uh, we talked about doing like uh, some. Uh, cross wilderness trekking, like maybe do a transect of the UP or something, you know, mm-hmm. and bring along some knives to play with and and uh, make some videos and you know show some gear and so show some monkey business. And uh, I um I I was kind of looking around at just some different stuff. I'm I'm not sure we want to walk through swampy land during that period of time. No, yeah, a little. Cold. But but there is some there is some really cool. Uh, uh, there's some some really cool rivers that we can follow mm-hmm. that uh, hit through some wild some pretty wild land and end up in Wilderness State Park. Nice. And then and then we we you know the I whenever I make a campsite in the wilderness I always try to make it by water. And if you're if you're basically following a river then you're set. You know. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes time to camp you can just flop. You know in a, in mm-hmm. a likely spot. But yeah that'll be fun. So looking forward to that too. Right in. Oh yeah. So we should probably we should probably give uh, an email address that people can send uh, questions and uh, their rants and and comments and stuff to. Do you have an email address? You know what? I'll I'll set one up, and it will be called podcast uh-huh. at knifejournal.com. Okay. So that's simple enough. So by the time this is by the time or this we is can out, say we'll PC. Yeah. Yeah, by the by the time uh, this is out, it'll be you can send your emails and questions to uh, podcast at knifejournal.com, and we'll try to answer them in in the next episodes. And if you don't write anything, we're just going to make up questions. That's right. <laughs> so uh, we we'd actually be more interested in what you guys want to know and what you guys want to talk about because um, we know each other pretty well and we yak like this like three four times a week, but. You know, if you had some, like, new fodder for us, it'd be even better. <laughs> so. And then maybe maybe we'll divulge some secrets, too. Yeah, you, you you know, I did ask that question. You never said a single thing. Can I'm you, pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> you, you really danced that. I think you must have run for office at one point. Okay, so uh, you got away with, like, not telling us any rumors or secrets or anything at the beginning of the podcast, but I got to hold you to at least revealing one thing. And I know something, and I know that you know it too. And that's yep. about the uh, uh, a certain company that's making a bushcrafter out of uh, 1095. What's that all about? Yeah, you've got a um, a knife called a, a, a bushcraft companion, and it's made by Blackjack. And uh, it's made out of 1095. Its overall length is uh, nine inches, and uh, it's um, this detachable handles on it, uh, lanyard hole, um, very ergo um, mm-hmm. handles, and I think it's it's there. I'm not sure that there's going to be any fancy woods made for mm-hmm. this unit, but. It is definitely going to be a, a reasonable priced uh, bushcraft knife that we're we're all going to get excited about it. Uh, it has some real sexy lines to it. Um, it's a little instead of being straight across the top, it's got a little bit of a drop, uh, giving it a giving it a real nice look to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a seven. It's one seventy thousandths thick, 
Uh, okay. So it's a so it's a nice size. Yeah. Uh, usable usable size. Uh, I think when people see it, they're going to just go ape. They're going to go crazy over it. Well, I, I, I actually I actually saw it um, being manufactured, and I won't say where, but I thought it was really cool looking. Mm-hmm. And uh, plus, it's out of 1095, and um, I know like you know it's not like a super steel and whatnot, but um, 1095. If, if you maintain it and, and take care of it and it's got a good heat treat on it, is a is a fabulous steel. Yeah. Like, I love 1095 knives, and so I'm actually pretty darned excited about this thing. Um, hopefully, are they shipping soon or? Yeah, well, they should be. Um, I think I think they're they ought to be available in the next couple weeks. But mm-hmm. I think uh, they're. Uh, I know I was supposed to get one, and you're supposed to get one. So. So we can play with them, mm-hmm. but uh, and I and I think it's going to be in the next probably week or so we're supposed to get one of those. So I'm assuming that the rest of them are are getting shipped to uh, their home okay. where they get sold from and uh, probably be available at your local dealers. Well, and hopefully hopefully we'll have them in time enough for the next uh, podcast. I'm not sure how long this one will take to put together, but I I'd like to go out and play with it in the woods and do some monkey business so we have something to talk about. Um, yeah, because it's 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 called the Bushcraft Companion, mm-hmm. um, and it ought to be a ought to be a home run in the bushcraft world. Uh, the the other thing I I don't know if I told you about this or not, but I did order a Skookum tool because I can't find one. Oh, you sucker! <laughs> yeah, those are I did. those are so sweet. Yeah. Yep, I did order one, and I about I don't know, must be about a. Probably a month and a half ago, two months ago, I ordered. I forgot to tell you. Yeah. And um, I'm not quite sure why he's so backlogged, but he's telling me that it's going to be about four years. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, he, he needs to, <laughs> he needs to hire some uh, <laughs> some companions to help yeah. him out with that or farm some of that work out because it's it's not a very complicated knife. It's it's a pretty darn simple knife. And it's, it's, I can't say that, you know, I've handled it, I've used them. I can't say it's, like, any better than any of the other bushcraft knives, like the high-end nice ones. Like, you know, the, I think if you're into a high-end nice knife for bushcrafting, I think, you know, the Bark River Bushcrafter is great. Um, I think uh, the Spyderco Bushcrafter is, is great. You know, once you're into that category of knives, if it's designed correctly and the edge is right and the ergos are good on the handle, it's all going to be pretty similar. And I've handled the Skokum Bush tool, and it's it's about, I mean, it's about the same as those other knives. But the reason that is getting such um, crazy backlogs is it's one guy making them, number one. Right. And number two, the guy um, designed it with Moore's Kahansky, and and. Uh, Moore's says that he didn't have anything to do with the design, but what the guy did was he'd make something, bring it up to Moore's, Moore's would look at it, they'd play with it, and he'd make a suggestion. And he went through a bunch of different prototypes and then eventually ended up uh, with the Skokum Bush tool that actually Moore's is, is pretty excited about, likes it. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, I think probably the, the marketing of that is kind of the, the big deal. I, I didn't... I, I thought it was an awesome blade, and it performed as well as any of those other kind of high-end bushcraft knives. But, but once you're into that class of knife, I think you're you can't go wrong with any of them. But uh, I, I that's another knife that I'd like to have, but I'm not waiting four years for it. I'll just well, copy you know, it. <laughs> and you know what's funny about that? I, I'm not quite understanding why it's 
he's having such a hard time. I mean, it seems to me that in today's world, um, I guess if you're making them one at a time and you're just basically worried about putting beans on the table and, you know, you sell one and you you buy a meal and you sell another yeah, one and you buy a meal. Yeah, he quit his day job and make those. If, exactly. If he's got a four-year backlog, man, I, if I had that four-year backlog of orders, you and I would be rich. Yep, yep, because what 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 <laughs> it end up happening, and I don't know what maybe... I, I don't know how many four years of backlog could be. I mean, that's the that's the big question. I mean, maybe he only makes one every six months, and he only has four four people ahead of me. I yeah, don't know. That's, that's 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 crazy talk because you know the even with my like I've got a one by forty two inch Kalamazoo belt grinder, and I have to cut all of my steel out with a freaking Dremel tool, and that's for the ones that are like stock removal. Like, but even even with that. I can make a knife just by myself with that, those garbage tools in a day. Yeah. You know, he, you, you can't tell me that like with modern tools you can't crank out more of those. Um, well, in, and it depends on order. if they're it depends on what his process is. If he's if he is literally only cutting things out of blanks mm-hmm. with a with a grinder and then doing the heat treating himself and doing you know you know maybe he can only do ten or ten ten a week. Hmm. Uh, you know that's that's the kind of the funny thing about knife making. Um, there's ways to get around that where you know you can do start doing batches of you know yeah. fifty at a time. Right, and and kind of the way I was looking at doing it was um, once you get the prototypes built, you know, in your basement or whatever, take that and have that uh, water jet cut out of steel a hundred at a time. And yep. then you know have it have a hundred of them sent to heat treat at a time, and then do a hundred handles at a time, and then pretty soon, you know, it, it if I had a real good like a Burr King like Mike uses, and plus all the the other stuff that he has, just working by myself using that process, I could have probably a hundred knives made in a week, mm-hmm. you know, just with me working on it. Let alone if I had a bunch of you know workers to help me. Yep. If that guy's got that much backlog, he's he's got to he's got to invest. He needs to step it up. Yeah, quit your day job. Jesus yep, Christ. He needs, if, he needs if, to step it up. If, if there's that much demand for your product product, then up it. It's not like it's a ramble, you know. Now is he a uh, is he a, a big bushcraft guy? Must be, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's pretty serious because he's he's gone and hung out with moors and stuff, and and he he lives kind of in the north there, so his. The kind of forest that he has is a lot like yours, mm-hmm. and so you know that those skills are actually pretty darn handy up there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I I really liked the knife. Uh, I thought it was fantastic, but I I wouldn't say that it was like any better than like the Bark River Bushcrafter or the Spiderco one that I like. Well, you know, it ends up being like one thing, and and I don't want people to get the wrong impression here, but um, the reality of it is. Everything that we did last weekend, mm-hmm. when we were when we were out, I could have done with my folding knife. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it ends up becoming a. Um, well, I, you know, we'd love to s- everybody that's making knives to be selling every knife that they sell, and just people going crazy over it because it's this. And, but but the reality of it is this: it's the skill that makes the knife work. Right. Um, and whether it's whether it's one that's a bushcraft knife. Or just a regular old pocket knife. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it the skill 
level of the of the user is the is what's going to make the difference. The knife isn't going to make much difference. Yeah, um, I I would I would add a caveat to that that um, if you have a knife that's built to the purpose, you know, so um, like for instance uh, with the bushcrafting, um, the knives that are that are designed after that kind of bushcrafter pattern, you know, uh, with a, with a Scandi grind, and I know the the Bark River one has the kind of has a Scandi grind, but the very edge of it is actually convexed. Right. So I think I think if you've got like the basic design where there's a where there's there, and there's an article in the first edition of podcast or of uh, knife journal which which describes this, but I think if you if you have a knife that fits those design criteria, it's going to be good, and then the rest of it's up to you. Right. But um, I work with a knife for my uh, for that's how I actually make my money is with a knife, and I can I can tell the difference between really um, good stuff and stuff that isn't so good as far as like the tools that I have to use. And um, but I think that once you are in the category of this is a good tool. I think that choosing one from the other is a matter of personal preference, which is which is kind of my point with the the Skokum Bush, Bush tool versus the others. Is they're all in that category. They're all right. really really good knives, and they're right. all purpose they're all purpose made, and they're all going to do the job. So you pick the one you like. Now that right. being said, that doesn't stop me lusting after one of those Skokums. Thanks oh, yeah. for bringing that up. Now now I'm going to sit here and like obsess about it. Yep. So oh, make one. I, well, yeah, I could just copy it and make it, but then I don't know. I I kind of feel like I should kind of honor his like work and stuff, but I mean, we'll see. <laughs> well, and it would not be difficult to say, well, this meets the criteria. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, right, and and the, you know that when I put together that article for Knife Journal on the criteria, I immediately set about making knives that met those criteria. And they all work for bushcrafting. Yeah. You know. But anyway, that's a whole another subject for another show. We're probably out of time, um, so this is probably the end of episode one. Any any parting words of, of knife wisdom? Um. Always have a sharp knife. I'd agree. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. <laughs>